presents 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. Brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. My name is Nathan. And I am Bob. And today we are going to be talking about, um, I, I guess, uh, probably a long-awaited book, wouldn't you say, Bob? Oh, it's since we've been doing this, we've been talked about, when are you getting to this book? Right, right. When are you going to review this book? When are you... Wait, can I use my... <laughs> let me see if I can figure out my, uh, my angry anime character. When are you going to use that book again? When are you going to do that review? I need to hear that review. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways, the book that we're going to be reviewing is Transylvania by Night. And, uh... It's, I would say, like, visually, it's an iconic book, like, the cover art, like, kind of, you know, it's one of those books where, even though I hadn't read it before, I always knew about it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know it most from Jihad. Um, Vampire the Eternal Struggle, they had some fan art done for some cards that were used in a in a tournament, and I stole one. Uh, but I stole one, I just, you know, at the tournament, they're like, keep it, it's promo, all right. They use this cover to be the... Uh, antediluvian card for the panders oh yeah 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 okay yeah i know what you're talking about yeah absolutely um yeah i don't know if anybody listening plays that game but there was at one point like what in like 2004 2005 like somebody came out with like a bunch of uh like fake fan-made cards that were like the antediluvians and we had them printed out like massive (laughs) <laughs> it was like a page, an actual notebook page. <laughs> right, right. We got them printed on cardstock, but they were like just massive pieces of artwork that we would use. And the theory so, was sound. If a normal card is a card, Antiluvian's yeah. got to be a page, right? That's... Right, right. The one that was inconvenient, though, was solid. That was like always the weird one. <laughs> we were like, wait a minute. Like, we have his card in our deck. How was he here? Tw-? Anyways. Um, yeah, so we're going to do this a little bit different, right? We're... Uh, for people that have not read this book, and, and you are our desired listeners, um, obviously we want people that have read it to to listen as well, but, you know, this is geared towards people who aren't familiar with the material. But if you haven't, but if you have read the book, you become the peerage at that point. Right, right. right? You'll do some head nods, you'll do some, uh, but we're here with you. Yeah, so we're going to do it a little bit differently. Today... We're going to do just kind of like an overall casual review of it. We're going to we're going to just, you know, kind of go through it very quickly. We're not going to get deep into any of the material. We're going to do like just a standard Nate and Bob review. But like some of the other books we've been doing lately, this book is too big for one episode. So for your convenience and for our throats, we're going to split it into two episodes. So today sort of a casual overview. Next episode, we're going to go in deep because there is a ton of material in here. A, a ridiculous amount. I will, uh, I'm will. i going to get this out of the way up front because I really think we're going to end up talking into the end. Uh, it's Yes, it's a good book. Get it. It's awesome. You won't regret it. Um, out of the whole Dark Ages line, this is one of the golden books that if you don't have, you absolutely are missing out. And yeah. it's, a, it's something you need to obtain. If you're a fan of the Zemisi, shame on you for not already having it. It's right. something you need. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I'm going through it for the first time. I was very illuminated by not just like the overall information about the clans, but just like the fact that it's a lie. So it says on here Transylvania by night, but it's really like all of Eastern Europe by night. It's 
there's just so much material in here. So before we get started with the review, we do like to occasionally answer some questions or just give our opinion about some questions that are asked. Um, and I uh, for, fortuitously read a question today on our Discord. Um, if you don't know, we have a Discord uh, for Utility Muffin Labs. You can find a link to that on the website, on Twitter, etc. Uh, but this question was from Matt Matt, and Bob hasn't even been given any information. He knows nothing about this question in advance. So it says, as an uh, ST, ref, narrator, whatever, joining a team that has been running a game for a number of years, how do you deal with having to pick up or otherwise adopt other people's plot and NPCs, etc., that you do not agree with or like? Or, perhaps even worse, what kind of advice do you have for taking over some plot from another ST that has been going down like a lead balloon? Wanting to do something with it, hopefully guiding it to some kind of conclusion and writing it out. So, the question is, how do you, when you're on a team of storytellers, and this is something that a lot of us uh, experience in a LARP scenario, how do you, as a storyteller or narrator, um, take on the responsibility of someone else's plot? Okay, uh, first off, I need you to do me a favor, take a journey with me uh, Mm -hmm. to an idea of what corporate leadership is. Um, You need to, because that's how you answer this question. There's no other way to do this. Because let me give you your typical response. You're Mm -hmm. a player who has enough experience they ask you to ST and to join a team. You're going to be the guy in the room doing this the whole time when you hear an idea. Ugh, why would you do that? (laughs) It's not even in the book. Did you read the material? That's going to be you. If you've never had any corporate anything. Yeah. Okay. You have to put on your corporate game face. You have to put on that mask first and foremost on joining any team. Because you're going to hear stuff you don't like. And you're going to hear some stuff that you automatically see improvement. Guess what? That's why you're on the team. Right. You were there to note things that need to be improvement and to add your skill set to improve them. So the question isn't just what do you do. It's how do you adapt to that new environment? And the answer is this. Open to everything. Everything becomes an and but, right? Mm-hmm. You never just say no. An and but is an improv term, but really what we're saying is explain the whys. If I tell you I disagree, do not disagree to a, to a negative point, right? right? Don't be negative in the disagreement. It has to be, I see what you did there. That's a common one, right? Uh, you know, like, we'll do an example. Um, Nate, you don't like the idea of me using Voltron, <laughs> the robot to take over right. the city after the vampires have ruined it in the masquerade. Um, right. How would you tell me that? Yeah, you know, I, I would probably tell you, I'd say something to the effect of, well, I like where you're going with this. We want a big enemy. We want it to be really impactful. We want the people that were involved in this in this terrible tragedy to be aware of the serious ramifications of it. However, I feel like we could probably narrow down our enemies to something maybe a little less uh, world-changing than Voltron. What about a cabal of mages, right? Oh, I didn't think about that. Right, like something like that would be crazy, or 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 you know, we don't even we don't even tell them it's a cabal of mages. Maybe we leave it completely vague. We just give the sensation of, and you go from there. Right, exactly. You get the idea. You're not shutting down conversation because you definitely need to have a discussion about a change that's just obviously not going to work. Um, and that's and that's how I would handle lead balloon plot you're taking over. Especially right. if that ST is still in the room, right, is still there. You can't ever negatively attack someone's work because you shut doors of anyone else from helping you. Right. Right? They don't want to share because, man, this guy's going to come in and start chopping heads. 
So maybe I better keep my stuff to myself because it all sucks now. This may seem funny to you, but as a collective group, everybody's sensitive. Everybody is super sensitive as a collective group on a leadership team. Right. So you have to treat them accordingly. Can't call them out. Um, always be to the positive. And ultimately, if it, even if after all the talking it's still a bad idea, don't be afraid to call a bad idea a bad idea. It's all in delivery. So right. if you, I, I, well, I was going to jump in there real quick. I, I think that from working from a, a number of different groups that have had a very diverse idea of what was appropriate and inappropriate for this game, I think it is important to remember everybody is playing the same game, right? Not everybody has the same ideas about what that game is, but everybody's playing the same game. And also everybody thinks that their idea is a great idea. Nobody goes in going, I've got a shitty idea. Would you like to hear it? Right? That doesn't, that doesn't happen. Now, so, what's, now, what's funny about that, I'm, I'm going to contradict that. Because Nate doesn't go mm-hmm. in. When Nate has an idea, it's a great idea. And that's why he's saying he's a man of confidence, much like myself. I, I honestly find it alien. We don't understand what it is for someone to walk up and go, do you think this would work? That is the common, right, common right. parlance of how that's always brought up. That, to me, seems like a lack of, of um, confidence, and that's definitely going to be a thing. And, and I think fostering people's, right, fostering people's confidence and going, that's a really great idea, here's how we could improve it, is better than going, you've got a shit idea and you fucking suck. Right. Now, you're hearing this from leaders' perspectives. Me and Nate have both been in leadership roles for a long time, and that's what it is to be in a staff, right? You're going to be a leader of your troops, so prepare for that. And it's all about keeping that level of confidence, even... Actually, especially amongst each other. If ever anyone on your team starts saying, I don't know, or this might, impossible, you need to help them find their chops, as we say. They need, they need to be a standard, because they got to uphold the whole team. So, Because here's the truth. When you make a decision, the whole team has to back that decision, public face it. They don't right. have a choice, right? Any corporation will tell you that. If someone represents you, and they're in the field, they're the ambassador for the whole team. Right. So if they don't have that mindset, it's it's going to be very bad, and that person's probably not going to be with that organization for for a long, for long. But right. to the question, get on the team, foster communication, keep it positive. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. I know you've heard us say that before. Exercise it there, especially listen to their input, especially when you've already given input. Right. Let them know that they've been heard, and then you know. Find a common ground by doing so. Once you find that common ground, seek a resolution that is beneficial to all. It may not be the best resolution, but it's one that everyone is digested and can move forward with. Right. Right. And and I think it's important, too, to note that uh, sometimes when taking over a game, I think it'll happen a lot of times in, in organizational play. Taking over a game, you're going to take over a lot of plots that you don't you don't personally know. You didn't write. You don't understand where their goals were. You you don't know how, like, jamming it down somebody's throat doesn't make it any more effective as a plot line. And I would honestly say, like, this might sound ridiculous, but look to things like pro wrestling or soap operas and what they do. Sometimes you just have to bury the plot. Sometimes the plot is just not good. You thought it was going to be a good idea or somebody had these grand designs and it just flopped. And it didn't take. And the players didn't want to do it. They didn't want to pursue it. 
for an analogy, sometimes it doesn't matter if you got two dragons and you're high up in the sky seeing miles all around. <laughs> you just can't see the ship ambush shooting a crossbow bolt that shouldn't be able to go vertical. Just saying. Hey, yeah, sometimes you, you know, can't see it. So, sometimes sometimes your plots just don't, they don't hit with the public. And I, I would say one thing that you should do is is never be married to these plots. You have a benefit as a storyteller or as a narrator or a GM. You have a benefit that things like television shows don't have. Give it a couple of weeks and people will forget. <laughs> we, we, we honestly, we all, we all hastily jump into plot lines. We all sometimes have a greater grander idea than we thought. And sometimes it just doesn't work. You don't need to, you know, die on that hill with a with a bad storyline. Nate's Nate's going to tell you that version. I'm going to tell you my truth. They'll remember. <laughs> they'll damn well remember that plot line. They'll remember who started. They'll remember who took it over. Here's the key: if you're taking over a bad plot line, your goal is to make that a good plot line. Right. Do you hear what I'm saying? And let me tell you how old Bob does it. You give me a mountain of shit, I'm selling it a day later out in the market for triple the price because that's how good it is, <laughs> right? And I'm not talking because I make bullshit walk. I'm saying you tell me that Voltron's coming to town, I tell you of a crazed plot that someone tried to scare people with about giant robots in the hills and other nonsense and how they get spun off, and now I can literally make that whatever I choose to do. It existed, it was said, it's there, have your token crazies, now make mm-hmm. that whatever you choose to make it by bringing other stuff in. And if that person comes back to you and goes, hey, man, I had death robots and Voltron because they're the defenders of the universe. And you go, well, you know, your time on staff was great and your idea was interesting. <laughs> um, I will right. let you know that uh, I didn't have the talent at the time or the knowledge of Voltron to move forward with that. So what I did was I made it to where it was frozen. It was just an idea. And we could right. easily set it over here on the shelf. That's, that's, that's story speak, because we didn't move forward with it. And it became this other plot of interest that I created that you can now enjoy. There's a reason why um, a like corporate scenario or like a, a corporate job, a job where you're working in a corporation, why that translates really well to, um, to LARPing. Uh, because one, when you work in a corporate environment, you, you cannot attack anyone. You can't attack anybody's ideas. And just as a general rule, that's a really good idea. You can't tell people, even though I've had uh, a thousand shitty ideas, no one in a work environment is telling me that my ideas are shitty. They're telling me how I can improve my ideas. They're telling me why my ideas might not work in the current setting, why my ideas might need a little bit of polish, why we might want to parking lot those particular topics for you know a later date. But... Th- those are just generally good rules for dealing with people. Like that's that's what's most important. Now, sometimes when you have staff members or storytellers or people in your game that are unwilling to work with you or they're toxic or they're using the game as a vehicle to treat people poorly, sometimes it's best just to cut your losses. It's best just to not work with those people. But for the most part, go, go ahead. And there's no HR. So right, there's right. the difference. You are HR as the, as the you know, head storyteller or whatever. So how do we do that? How do, if there's no HR, how do we get the bad people from being there? And, and the answer is simple. You have a head of an organization. I don't care what the organization is. I've been on multiple versions of this. Mm-hmm. I've been on teams that say we're all equal. It's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. There is someone here who has the most respect that people listen to. Find that person. And you can either have a private one-on-one with them about your ideas. 
you know, facilitate that. If they won't hear it, then you still have hope. Bring it up and make it public at the next meeting in a right. calm capacity. Always remember this. If you want to be heard, be calm. Don't swear. Right. Don't ever do that. And don't attack anyone. And people listen. Right? right. That's that's how it is. Um, I've been on people who didn't care to be on staff, right? That they were friends of the guy who's running stuff and they're just laid back. and Whatever, dude. Yeah. Your ideas, whatever. Those guys, they're, I'll, I'll be honest, they're worthless. They don't do anything for the story. They don't do anything for the plot. They're just there to ironically support the guy who's trying to run the show. That's all they're there for. And you got to spot them as being of use to you or not. I, I actually don't apologize about the worthless comment. I think like this. If we're a team, I think about the health of the team. If you agree to be on the team, it's no longer Nate, it's no longer Bob, it is the team. Right. And it either helps the team or it's off the team. That's my rule. That's my rule every time. Not everybody can handle that thought. Everybody wants to be inclusive and everything else, and I get that. But at the same time, my thought says this. We should also be moving the team forward. Right. And, and you should also be moving with the concept that we're trying to do something successful and that that success is to bring fun to people uh, and uh, be true to whatever the story is, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's it's been a long time since I've encountered folks like that that you're talking about. But most of the time, those folks are there because, hey, man, I'm just really good at the rules. I know how to throw chops. I, I can, you know, I, I'm, I'm a narrator. And sometimes I feel all it takes is is to talk with that person and go, all right, but what do you want out of this creatively? What do you want to do? And if it's, if it's nothing, if their response is, I just want to throw chops, I'm, I'm a good narrator. Well, all right, I'm done. I don't, I don't need to have you because I need something more than that. And I feel that we are grotesquely off the point. Uh, <laughs> Sets 18 minutes in, right. that more than answers that question. Yeah. yeah I want to say so. that because I, I could hear it now. I myself feel that. Um, obviously, we have in-depth. We can go deep. Contact us individually if you like. If that still mm-hmm. doesn't uh, help you get that, and that's anybody hearing this, we can help you out. Right. Right. So, okay, let's move on. Thank you guys for humoring us. We hope we answered your question. Uh, and if not, eh, yeah, these things happen. Um, <laughs> but uh, um, going in on uh, Transylvania by Night, um, this book is, man, it is, I think, probably the largest city book that I've seen so far. And, that's, and, and again... Cheating. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, it, you know, it's not cities. it's not really right, it's not really a city book. It's it's all the cities. In fact, it's like cities and countries and regions and yeah, it is uh it is less a city book and more a like a regional source book. So what this book starts with is unique as well. It first hits you with a wall of text. Right? right. I, I'm gonna warn you of it. It was hard to read. That's, that's a critique here because there's so much going on that you're stopping to look up and get the scoop on. Right. right. They, you know, like you read about Bohemia and they mentioned Chagra. You know her. You know her as being a, a Zemisi Methuselah, but you don't quite know what her story is. And you don't know why she has all this going on just yet. But this, this is here. Do not do what I did. I paused right there and went, where do I know her from? And it was sticking in my head. And I was like, I know I know Chagra. Chagra was in the video game, of course. That was in Masquerade Redemption. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. She was mentioned there. You fought her. I'm almost positive. But she's also mentioned elsewhere. Where is it? And I'm tearing apart everything. Because I refuse to use the internet when I have my library right here to keep right. my brain going. And as I'm tearing around looking for it, I was like going, man, I had to admit defeat. Because I was holding the damn book that has her in it. <laughs> literally she's in this book she's in the, she's in the head with the other beasts and I, I right. couldn't stop laughing when I did it 
And so it taught me something. This book, they took it into consideration. There's a lot you want to look up. So, however, the tale they're telling, what they're arming this this gun with, that you kind of got to go with their plan, is read the background to how these cities and these territories were warred over, taken into consideration, and events blossomed from. Then... When you start digesting the story they're trying to tell, you have aha moments. That's why they mention that. This is the importance of that. That's what it means to be a, Mag- a Magyar, and that's, okay, the Bogomil conspiracy. Okay, that's what you'll start doing as you start getting to that stuff. Right, right. Uh, as I'm reading through this book, I'm going through these you know, first couple of chapters, and I, I, I will tell you, as a, as a storyteller and um, just as someone who's like learning the, the Dark Ages setting, um, one, this is homework. Like I, I got a, I got a flat out, like, like this is not like reading any other book, right? Reading any other book, I can read through it. I can digest it. I can have a pretty solid understanding, but this one, this is like the lost tome of where <laughs> all the material, like you want to know about what's going on in the dark ages. Every book that we've done before has been great set dressing. It's been great, you know, to learn about what medieval life is like and what life is like in the in the dark medieval world and and all that. But this is yeah, this is this is way more than that. You you better get a notebook and a pen because otherwise you you're going to have to keep going back and 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 tr- you know, truly trying to digest this material. So yeah, One, like like you were saying. So the the high overview here that I kind of want to touch on is that the the areas like uh, we'll take Bohemia for instance, they don't just tell you Bohemia. We're right to the modern. Here's what they're doing. Here's what's going on. It starts off telling you about the twenty five thousand year old settlement <laughs> remains that are there before the dark medieval existence began. Right, right. Like they're they're there. I mean, granted, it's a sentence. They don't go back twenty five thousand years, but they hammer one thing home: history was here. Right, right. And that's what goes on. For those of you who like history, then you get this. Often, this area was described as the land of the damned, right? This whole area was Celts and barbarism and paganism, and it's the devil ruled here. It's it's garbage. (laughs) The church would have you believe, oh, until they came here, there wasn't people. That's that's just how it is. They definitely label that throughout this book. Now, what I want you to get in your mindset, too, is the villainy that is in this book, too, and I don't want to miss this point at all. And that's as you read about the series, you learn really what the church did. It's just another conqueror. There's there's no diff, there's no easy way to do that. It's right. you had you had the Pope, Byzantine Empire, Rome came like let's to put it in their order, Rome comes over first, doing what Rome did. Right? And Rome was notorious for trying, you know, we we're Rome. We're here now. We beat back the horde, what's here? Uh sire, the horde is still coming. Like they're 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 <laughs> right, still attacking right. us. All right, send on emissaries. <laughs> Let them know that we will kill them and their weird tribes if they don't stop. Well, my lord, we went out there, and they did kill us. And they're still coming. All right. We'll just stay here. See how they like it. We'll stay here. Fortify the fortifications and fortify those. We'll build a great wall. We'll do it all. We're not leaving. And lo and behold, after a time, as these things do, somebody comes up and goes, Look, you're not leaving. What do you bring us then? Right. And Rome goes, oh, you were curious. Well, we have spices, we have slaves, we have... What What do you have? And then they went, oh, did you know about cinnamon? Would you like <laughs> honey? 
did you did you notice how good our women can be? And and suddenly you had trade. Right? They're willing to hear. And then this interesting thing happened. Granted, they started rough. People started commencing with this trade, and folks were getting rich. Right? Rome's coming back with that and doing it. And then Rome had its troubles, starts shaking a bit, and every area does this, right? Where Rome's like, uh, we're leaving. Wait a second. You came here and opened up all this trade, got us to liking you, right. and even co-mingling here, you're just bailing? Hey, we're leaving, but you can govern yourself how you want to. You know? Viva <laughs> Pax Romanus. We'll have, have a day. Right. We're right. gone. All the, no, no, I'm highlighting here, all the rich people left. All the rich Romans are like, oh, we're gone, and I'm taking my favorite Dacian with me. Let's go, <laughs> right? Here's right. the deal. Who was over here was not just some unknown hubbubs, right? The Thracians had a chunk of territory over here, and from the Thracians, you had a subgroup called the Dacians. I believe they just spoke a different dialect. I believe the book pointed that out, and that's why they were Dacians. And they, and they were here. And while the Dacians were here, the Romans came in, had their conflict, calmed down, realized they're cool, we're cool, everybody's cool. And then Rome decided they were leaving, but then there were soldiers who were like, I'm not going back. And the nobles were like, so be it. We have problems at home. And, they, and that's it. Right. And so this term comes, Romanians, the descendants of Dacians and Romans. Right? That's, that's where that kind of the neat little thing, I liked how they put that in the book. Now, mm-hmm. them being who they were, which is cool, and every area has like a thing like that. The point is, these were not subhuman mutant devil people right and that's not, that's what I'm trying to highlight they had their own uh, form of respect towards one another they had their own form of government they had their own religious beliefs they had their own way of life right. that just wasn't the same as a Rome <laughs> and so that it, thus it was seen as you know something else now why it's important is because Rome was several centuries before we get it to now right right but the bones of what Rome had built are still there Right, these people are still there in that area, and they still are having their own way. Now, I said all this because the real conqueror here—it's not the venture, it's not the torador, it's not any of the vampires you want to think of. It's the church, right? Right, and that's that's a, the one key thread that is blended through all of this is the the church being the the main conqueror, the main civilizer, if you will, and. The dominating fact is is that the church even had its problems, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, we had a group of Teutonic Knights come through, as the Tremere Dark Ages book pointed out. And it even mentions that in here. Uh, but the details in that book, please see that. Uh, but they talk about how, yes, they came in and came so far and did what they did and allowed the establishment of uh, pockets of churches, right? And settlements that go with it. Cool. You're allowed to stay there, and people probably didn't want right. a war anymore. Left them where they were. However... In terms when you get to Lithuania and you start seeing that, there were people who were coming over. I believe they were Asians that were there. I forget the name right off the top of my head. Uh, but they would send... They sent two uh, bishops... No, excuse me. Two uh, missionaries um, over there to start spreading the good word. Both were martyred. Now, that's a polite term the church used. They didn't want to scare further other missionaries. Right? If I want you to be a missionary, Nate, and I want to tell you the good works of the missionaries, it probably sounds like this. It's an uncharted wilderness in Africa. They've never heard of you over here. And they're called cannibals and devil worshippers and monstrous things are there. But the power and faith of the Lord protects you. Christ protects you. You know this. I know this. And I can think right. of no one else to go over there and represent us. And, and 
no matter what you do, you will hold a special place. For even if you were to be martyred in the name of... Get how that works? Mm-hmm. I don't tell you if you were murdered. Right. They're, they're going to eat you. And it's, <laughs> right? I didn't say any of that. I just right. said you might be martyred. We'll right, remember right. you fondly. Right, it's a, I mean, it's a great it's a great honor to die for the for your god, right? <laughs> and, and and he give you a good name for it. Meanwhile, you got these pagans going. These idiots don't get it. They don't get it, and they haven't got it. And and why do I say idiots? Because to them, you seem that way, right? They more or less she came over and told them. <laughs> imagine giving worship. These guys come out and they have an animistic belief, right? And this is specifically Lithuania I'm talking about, and probably the whole region, honestly. And they believe in the land. Thus, the, the Lord protected the land and the people worked the land and they worked it in harmony. And so, too, the Lord was the people and the land was the Lord. Get how that works? Very earthy. Right. That, that means their paganistic beliefs all developed around several different gods based on animistic approach. Which means the trees were holy. There were sites that were holy. There were sites to sacrifice. There, there was the sun to, to thank. Ground to hug is what I'm getting at. And that's, and that's good. But then here comes this missionary. And he tells you, in this book, you're all wrong. <laughs> right. You can't understand me yet. I can't understand you. But where's a traitor? Traitor. And then uh, you have like an, an Ottoman merchant who, who's been developing trade with these people for a hot minute. Who is well aware of the Christian crusader type. And sees the missionary and goes, yes, uh, fellow traveler. They're not going to like what you have to say right now. Not the way you're saying it. And the missionary probably said something to the tune of, um, God wills it. Tell them the truth. Right. Okay. And they tell him, and dude gets martyred. Right? Because you just told these hard people their way of life sucks and whatever, and you're offensive. So there it is. It's done. Funny thing happens, though. Greed isn't everything. Right? There's always someone somewhere who realizes what power is. And I want you to keep that in mind. Because the one thing they point out that was damning to everyone was the moment someone told them, you see the trade and how it works? We got all these people behind us back over here in, right. the, in the would-be empire from Rome on. And you're over here in this neck of the woods, but you've never heard about some of the spices and the colored cloths and look at our metal and the way we do. You never heard of this stuff. You never even seen it. What if uh, we come to an agreement? And that leader's sitting back there wearing his skins and sitting in his, you know, his domicile, which was a combination of stone, combination of mud, and he had his land, whatever, no big deal. He was fine, but was told that there was better. There was bigger they could have. There was, there was always something greater, and we're promised these things. And this guy goes, yeah, sure, bring it to me, we'll talk. And now you get how it came in. Because straight up, the church promised shit and delivered. Right. And, and these guys went, oh, then we're all baptized. <laughs> right? right. We'll, we'll all go to this river under mandate. I am the Lord here. All of you who follow me will go to this river in the same day. Everyone will be baptized in the same day, or you will be put to death. Those are your options. What do you think they did? Yeah, right, right. They they definitely took advantage of it. Well, and the cool thing is too, like reading through this chapter, um, it has a lot of that information in it. Um, but it has information about the entire freaking region. Some yeah. of it is some of it, and I, they do something a couple of times. They make it a point on a number of occasions to go. Um, this is we try to be as as like close to history as possible. However, we 
took a lot of liberties because we wanted to create drama. And I think that that's right. And I think that that's really because something that um, I have felt immensely, both in Dark Ages and in other, other eras of storytelling, even in the modern time, it is not my job as a storyteller to be to be a documentarian, right? I'm not I, I'm I'm not sitting here trying to be 100% accurate in all things. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to tell a story. And I think that it's 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 a key element that storytellers as a whole and also players should be aware of that you want to be close, you want to be consistent, but you don't necessarily have to be every single point has to be 100% accurate. Right? And I think and I think you're going to find cuz I did I, and in fact, let me just state that again. For a fact, mm-hmm. a lot of this they have correct, right? In oh, terms yeah, yeah. of this happened and this happened. They don't give you the detail because that's the part they're like, nah, tell your story. Right. There, There's like certain things like, like they talk about like the castles, right? Where they're like, you know, castles weren't really that big of a deal yet. It was a couple of hundred years. However, that's not the story we want to tell. Right. Like, we want to tell the story of, like, you know, the Zemis Voivode and his his looming castle on the hill right now. That's what we want to tell it right now. So that's what we're going to include. Now, this this first, uh, it's not the first chapter, but this first chapter of, like, story material goes through freaking the Poland. It goes through Bulgaria. It goes through Lithuania. It goes through all of these places. And quite frankly, these are places that I didn't know, care, or like, I, I would never would have thought to look. And here it is, you know, very, like, very concisely set out. But again, like I said, reading this, I had to take notes. I, I legitimately had to take notes because I was like, wait, what's going on? Um, and uh, at the very beginning. So it wasn't like I got through it and was like confused. It was like when I sat down to read it. I knew immediately I'm going to need to take some notes Uh, and that's not abnormal. Like I take notes with a lot of these books, but this one specifically, I was like, there's no way I can reference this information. So better say you were inspired. Right. To take notes. And here's, and here's why that hit me a lot. I've read, I literally don't even bother with a notebook because I think of you, the listener, I, I I model what you guys are going to listen based off of what I would have interest in hearing. I know we both do. That's exactly what we do. And so most of it, I'm like, cool, we get where it came, all right, moving, all right, not a, okay, cool, there's the vampire, and we start reading with more, more right. focus. This is like, th- this is cool, it's like going, fun fact, historically, this occurred, right? Like, I think uh, one, of the, one of the fun things was the, uh, oh, I just had it, and there it went, and that's why we take <laughs> notes, right? That's why you're supposed to do it. So that doesn't happen. No, I'm joking. It says, uh, so according to legend, this is in Kai Verus, by the way. It says, according to legend, uh, the Slavs of the area cried, our lands are rich and great, but there is no order in them. Come and rule over us. And this is in reference as to how uh, a particular king uh, from uh, Rorik's son, Oleg, uh, was asked to come and take over, uh, like in Kiev, in, in that area, right? It's a legend. No one knows mm-hmm. the truth of it. And it sounds ridiculous. It sounds like... Someone asked the king, my lord, who said you could rule? Actually, the people. They just told me it's, it's kind of, this place is awesome and you should come here and, you know, nobody's ruling it. I'm going to rule it. Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> it's a ridiculous thing. But it's it's stuff like that that's that big picture interest that you want to be like, well, let's make a note of that. Right. And yeah, that's so, uh, every other paragraph. Well, yeah. So um, after, like, we talk about the regions in, in that chapter, the very next chapter goes and 
kind of digs a little bit deeper um, in in those specific areas, talking about the actual cities um, that are going to be your your focus, really, um, from a storytelling perspective um, in these areas, uh, going so far as to like, you know, telling you princes, the political uh, things that are going on, the the dark secrets, the little monsters that are hidden in all the nooks and crannies. Um, one of the, uh, there's a couple of things that like stuck out to me that I wanted to mention. Um, obviously Hungary, um, and, um, you know, the, the darkness of the forests and Kapala, like that, these are all things that you're going to, to learn about, but that that's uh, in this chapter here. Um, the, uh, um, did you read about the, the golem? Yes. The, uh, the, so, so one of the things that, um, if you want to talk about this a little bit, one of the things about this area is there's a demon. Um, this is pretty well known in, in the world of darkness. Um, and I use demon in air quotes um, because that's not necessarily what Kapala is, but it's the entity has basically bound its heart to the land and it infects almost like every aspect of, of daily life. It, it did. Kapalas mentioned as in the Zemisi revised and before, you know, mm-hmm. it's obviously a governing thing. Um, Kapala is a spirit of corruption. It's literally a bane spirit, right? Which a demon is a, a demon right. is just a bad spirit. So they're not wrong in calling it that, but it doesn't originate from hell. That's, right. you know, Satan didn't push it out to scourge Christianity because Kapala is cooler than that. He's going to scourge everybody. That's, that's just what he does. And he sits in the land and he infects it and he's an enemy of natural life. Now remember, Kapala is the antithesis of natural life. Now, a lord is is the one who protects the land, right? Mm-hmm. That's their job. And it is believed here. It's a system where in this country, a lord in England, I protect the land. He's referring to what you can grow, what he can make, and the people who work the land. That's what he's referring to. Over here... They're referring to with these animistic beliefs, this you know paganism. If you need to be crude, they're saying no, the land itself. That's the earth. <clears throat> that's the trees, the sky, the weather. That's everything. The people are part of it, and 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 they thus, it's one. It's one right. in their belief system. So this is actually the origination of the Zemisi clan flaw. It is not a curse put on them by Kapala. That is not what it is. The Zemisi clan falls because of their deep roots tied into this belief of, of paganistic belief that enthralls them to the land they are from. That's the importance of it. Kapala doesn't like that. And he's trying to make the Zemis his by corrupting the land because it knows if it does that, it gets the Zemis. Now, a cool thing, just to divert slightly, there's a, pl- there's a time called Kapala's Night, and it does talk about this directly in the book, and I'm going to help you real quick. TLDR. All the Zemis get together in an area on a particular night. Someone reads the signs and knows what's going on. I believe it's June 22nd is the typical Kapalas night. It's an actual ritual that's done. And it's like a spring rite. Right. right? The, the actual one is a spring rite that's cool. It, you know, Everyone runs around, I believe, looks for a fern, some plant. And if they find it, it's considered good luck. And it's a sign of renewal. Everybody parties, has a good time, and they're happy to be one people. Cool thing. However, vampirically, this ain't a cool night. <laughs> their their Kapala's night. It's a bunch of Zemis coming together going, yes, Kapala's great. It's good. Mm-hmm. Do, do the right. Let's just get it going. And when the world is thin enough, 
right? Where they could start seeing the spirits of Kapala twisting trees and mutating around plants and corrupting streams. When they see it, what they do then is they do a ritual where they take a silver chalice. Stop me when you heard this, Nate. And uh, they each begin dripping blood into the cup. Uh-huh. Passing around. <laughs> and, and, and what they do is that he already stopped me, by the way. He said, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. no, I've already, I've already, I think everybody, <laughs> everybody listening is like, yeah, we know where this is going. And they drink from the cup and it all goes around, but they take the droplets at the end and drop it on the ground. This is unifying mm-hmm. them as lords of the land and thus protecting the land. But once those droplets hit the ground, what's cool about that, right? The Kapala spirits begin screaming. It's instant because they know. When that rite is done, it actually empowers the Zamisu do it to, well, they take their, their, their horde forms, right? Their war forms are on, and they begin running around and ripping apart Kapala. Tear it apart, limb from limb, every shape, spreading their blood on the land, enriching the soil with its own just torn meat, right, is what they do. And then, as it's spiritually dead, the Zamis high-five each other, right? <laughs> Everyone's cool again. And they, they have that neutrality to come together to attack the clan's greatest foe, which is Kapala, because Kapala dares to attack the land that they are sworn to defend. That's why it's cool to be a Zemis. I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's an aspect a lot of people maybe don't pick up on. But So anyways, just from a straight review, um, yep. th- this and many other tales can be found herein. Uh, as as we move on, so so moving on, I it, it would be we could talk for twelve hours about every city and every you know all the material that's included, all the 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 mortals that influence the land and the different sections. Like here's all your city books in one. Um, moving on, we get to the Canaanites of Eastern Europe, uh, which again is a sizable chunk. Now, uh, one thing that I've noticed. And they even mention it in here. Uh, the Tremere and the Zemis get their own chapters. So mm-hmm. this is this is the 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 Canites of Eastern Europe that aren't those two clans. So, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, uh, you know, we we have um, the Asimites, we have the the Cappadocian, we have basically this chapter has like a who's who of the power players of Eastern Europe. During the Dark Ages. And they do something really cool. They point out how this land isn't just the Zemis, isn't right. just the Tremere. No. Right? Um, someone, they, they got a pimp. I really do like this aspect uh, of this book because it gets into one, one cool fact. Because it doesn't go deep. Um, talks about how people lose whole caravans on the road at night. Right? And you're mm-hmm. like, ah, it's the Zemis. They were hungry. The Shlashka got them. Bradovich hounds, eh, we're off the cage again. <laughs> Gone. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. It's, in, it's inaccurate. What it is, is it's descendants of Baba Yaga and Nosferatu broods. They jump the caravans and rip apart the people and they disappear. They're gone. What the Zemis do is go, oh, the children of the night. What sweet music they make. Why? Because if you're on the Zemisi lands and that, hap- and that happened, um, they would go and kill those Nosferatu. But it doesn't happen on Zemis lands. It happens in right. between, and you probably didn't ask permission to be there. <laughs> High five, right? That's <laughs> that's kind of how it goes, right? But they're awesome. If the Nosferatu are that savage, they got to do what they do. Uh, so are the Gangrel, right? It's it's a land uh, to to explore with forests and 
nature and night and the werewolves even pimp. I, I adore this chapter is what I'm trying to stop glomming yeah. on. So, so uh, a lot of the characters that are in here are sort of like classic World of Darkness characters. Um, I'll just go through like a, like a who's who. Um, so first name that you might recognize is Dominic. It talks about um, his background and, and he's an elder here. And it does uh, the same thing that all the Dark Ages books do. Um, wherein it gives you sort of like their destiny. What well, we know in a more modern context, the unfortunate end of Dominic. However, really cool character, um, very inspirational as far as like, you know, in a modern context, like, you know, his descendants and the constant war against the Ventru. Like, he's very much like the stereotypical, um, the Bruja, you know, from Carthage and, you a know. A Promethean. Right, warring against the Ventru, trying to regain those those, uh, and even back here, humanity of two. So it's not a big shock what ends up happening to him. Not at all. Um, you know, Ekaterina the Wise. Uh, um, ooh, I want to I want to read one. I w- I just want to read the destiny of this one because it it really I was like, oh, that sucks. So we have uh, Cappadocian here in this book, and and we know the end result of of what happens with the Cappadocians. However. Um, this guy, his name is uh, Garinal Cappadocius. Uh, his destiny, he attempts to flee to the New World in the wake of the Giovanni takeover of the Cappadocian clan. His ship is lost at sea, and he sinks into the depths of the ocean, where he enters torpor as the fish of the deep waters consume his flesh. Holy crap, that sucks. Oh, man. I, I gotta get her name. I can counter that <laughs> destiny. With the absolute worst destiny I've read in here. Um, it's a Tremere. Uh, while he's looking, um, we have a number of we have a number of Gang Gangrel and Mitri the Hunter. We have uh, you know Lucida, which to be quite frank, I think that the information about Lucida in here is kind of crap. Um, but uh, people are of, of two minds about that character. Um, the same thing with Anatole. I think Anatole is presented in this book is a very cool character. Maybe yeah. you know. Maybe you know the name. The name escapes me as I'm fumbling through here, Johnny, in a spot of it. Um, there is. I want to say Tremere. I could have had it wrong. Basically, the destiny of this person is that they get mm-hmm. captured and horribly tormented uh, by the Zemis for like like decades, right? Or just mm-hmm. forgotten about. And then Anatole, Lucida, I think even Beckett are together as a coterie. They find her and they do the right thing. It literally says they do the right thing, and it takes them three attempts to chop off the correct appendage that actually was that person's head. I, you know what? I'm I'm not sure. Um, however, it seems like there's a lot of getting captured and held. So, like that that's an interesting thing about Dominic. Like Dominic, the the Bruja, is captured and kept prisoner in the Cathedral of Flesh. Like that's a shit life. <laughs> that's a shit existence. Nobody wins that game. Here's the deal. Uh, of all these people, one thing to get, other than me not finding my person, I'm just going to give that up for the moment uh, later on. If you're really interested, I'll, I'll hunt it down, and well, maybe Nate will be kind and post it. But the uh, point is here is that everybody here is tied to something in this book, right? Nobody is just here, right? I'll reference the Chicago by Night book. That does a beautiful job of blending everybody in, and it makes sense. It's a good book to have and whatnot. Even that book had a few people that were like, meh. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, right. we really, man, we don't really care here. Can kind of lose those folks here because of the destiny aspect of all the characters. You're like, that's interesting. You can right. rub your chin and figure out, mm, that's something I could use. That's important. Um, 
even to the R-pads that they mentioned in here with the Ventru, who I think we can we could state with all certainty, uh, the Ventru are opportunistic as it gets, right? Here's why. When it talks about Mithraicism, it's with Rome, right? Rome worshipped Mithras, right? That's what Mithraism mm-hmm. is. And as they go through and conquer, they took that with them. And, you know, they brought their rights. They do those rights, and the people remember those rights. So when the Ventru kind of come back through again, it's it's an easy slam dunk for them to give a head nod, and we remember the ways of old. Get right. how that works, right? It's like it's like conquest through acceptance of what was already there because you weren't alive to know I was already here, right? Sort of sort of ordeal. And you know that's just what they do, um, and their conquest is through the nobles at this point. Uh, before we talked about the factions that there are in the Venture Clan, one of them being the nobles, and their strategy is is if we empower the rich to be themselves, and we take them as our pawn pieces, we really rule the land. And it's it's not untrue. That damn near is everything around here in the 12th century. That's that's what you have is people kingmakers, right? And and those people getting that power, that greed, it's just awesome for them. Right. And it's a sound strategy until you you do get to someone like the Zemis. Now, those venture are in here. Those ideas of those kingmakers and their politics are all in this book, too. Um, what I enjoy, though, is when it starts talking about the Zemis and how they treat it. Now, the Zemis have known war. They've, they've warred with each other. Right. Constantly. Right? Because it's about territory. They're the most territorial clan there is. And because of that, it's predatory domination games constant. That's what they're about. Remember, what sets the Zemis apart from the Lasombra? Lasombra believe they are actual vampires. They're true vampires, and they're the best at, best at it. Accordingly, they're pragmatic and understand a sense of survival. Like, right. we will keep the very best of us, and we will cull the weak. The Zemis believe <laughs> we're, we're the absolute rulers of our land, and uh, we'll do whatever we like on our own territory. Now, you're probably wondering, why, how does that relate to being a vampire? Because it's dominion. It's, it's being a creature that has a territory that defends and eats and hunts and does whatever it likes on its own territory, that considers an affront to go to someone else's territory and act out of sorts, right? To leave, to come when not invited, to be rude when you do, you know, all that. Very weird but cool element of that clan. But they're all warring with each other. When everybody else starts coming through, there's still small pockets up in the Carpathians that have never encountered this civilization takeover. Right. That, that don't know about what's going down in, uh, um, Kaivrus, or what the significance is, that it's a gigantic trading hub, and there's all these people coming through raiding west, coming from the east through Kaivrus, which is making those guys rich. And folks are like, oh, but, you know, those, those Carpathians in East don't know. And so they're still just kind of <laughs> going back and forth at it. Right. But when they're told one day, your pagan life is being challenged, they're like, what do you mean it is? Oh, the, the Christians. What's a Christian? I, I do mean that. They don't, they're not even aware of that, you know? Right. And you right. have to explain to them, the army is out here trying to come take over your land. What are you going to do? And then these lords are like, open the hound kennels and everyone merge together. Let's go kill these assholes. You got to understand the shock from that war. The mortals are down here having at it because of, you know, you got the Pope saying we got to, everyone's now Latin, Latin Christian. That's it. Right. Long live Catholicism. And they're like, hold on now. We got Byzantines backing. We're Orthodox Christians over here. You can't just come and do that. And they're having at it. They're going to war. Well, at night, you have these monsters coming down going, get off our land. <laughs> you know, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> right. Don't approve you. You know, 
Right. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. And they point out the Zemis is being separate in this book. And I think it's strategic. Yep. Why they're not with everyone else is to highlight that isolation. Right? Then you get your own chapter about just them. The Zemis in there are amazing. Right. You got, you got Yorick, Noritz, Shagra, all the greats. Well, and I, I wanted to mention real quick, um, you know, we're, we're kind of, we're going to wax over it a little bit. Same thing with the Tremere, because most of that stuff is going to be in our part two. Right. Here's the cool thing that most people don't know about, or maybe they don't care about. I don't know. We'll, I guess we'll find out. But when we record that, Bob and I will be in the same room. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's 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 actually what I'm looking forward to. Like, I definitely want to get into all of the Zemis, Tremere, and and of course, I want to hear your feedback on you know how we're pronouncing you know Zemis incorrectly, but I don't care. Um, but my my goal is so. And here's the other thing: uh, I really wanted to ask you here live on the podcast, live in air quotes. Um, the the next book after this one is. Um, Transylvania Chronicles Volume 1. So here's the question. Do we finally take the plunge and do the multi-episode Transylvania Chronicles now, or do we do book one and then the Bali clan book? Because that's the next one after Transylvania Chronicles 1. So do we go, let's just stick with Transylvania for the next, like, five episodes? (laughs) Or, like, how do you want to do that, Bob? I'm torn, because I feel the Transylvania Chronicles, uh, to do due diligence... Mm-hmm. Well, well, let's see what I saw as a mistake of the Giovanni Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Stuff was lost in translation. Right. Because when there was releases in between, folks were like, what, part three of what now? The Giovanni right. Chronicles. Oh, wait, <laughs> wait where did you, What did you talk about? Right. So you kind of got to do that in, yeah. a, in a shot to keep... If we're on Transylvania, I, I know. I love them. I love the Bali. <laughs> uh, I, I want to move him to the head of the line. I really do. But we're, we're already doing Transylvania by night. We might as well do the Chronicles. Yeah. And, and get that in. And uh, then put that to bed. And then we can move yeah. on to the all focus on the, the true villains of the world of darkness. So what you're hearing right here right now, folks, is we've reviewed Transylvania by night. Insofar as we both think it's an imperative book to own. We think it's a great book. There's a ton of information in here. Um. And we're going to get to it because this is the start. We'll call this episode one of the Dark Ages. We're we're wetting the appetite. Here's the review of Transylvania by Night, but we're going to finish. We're going to start with this book and do the complete Transylvania Chronicles uh, until we're done. I don't know how many episodes it's going to be. Do you? (laughs) <laughs> it's like no i don't fucking know. i have no idea there's, there's a lot of cool stuff i mean it's yeah, that simple right. they did they knocked it out the park with these books yeah and you know of course there's going to be highs and lows but the cool thing about this is it starts here in you know 1197 but then we're going to do one two three and four consecutively so you have the full story of what's included in this material so um i think i think for now let's put a put a pin in this episode because um, next week we're doing an interview, I believe, uh, and then the week after that we're gonna just start on the road of Transylvania. So, cool. Uh, anything else you'd like to add to this conversation, my man? Not at all. Except I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, it's going to be a learning experience for both of us because I've only ever read the modern Transylvania books, so even I don't know the full story here. Um, so it'll be a learning experience for me as well. Cool. Well, um, 
you know, thank you guys for listening. And uh, yeah, my final my final opinion about this book before we actually finish it is, um, I'm really super glad I bought this book. Um, you can get it in PDF on Drive Through RPG. Although it is a little difficult to come by um, a printed copy of this book, uh, I think this was a book I spent about thirty-five bucks on. So, as much as I hate to admit spending that much, this was that one book where I was like, "No, I think I need a paper copy," and I'm I'm happy to get it. Um, so, yeah, it's a collector's edition. I think it's well worth it because there's just so much information in here. So, uh, there will be a link on our webpage. If you want to purchase the drive-through RPG PDF version of it uh, and help our show, and um, one last thing I want to say, Bob. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people ask us about the song at the beginning of our podcast, the the intro song. So it is a song by a band that no longer exists; they're defunct, um, and the band is called Duvolt, I believe it's D E U X V O L T. And they're like a kind of gothy industrial band. Um, so you can look them up on YouTube, but they no longer make music. And their music is uh, free to download. So um, you can get out there if you if you like that. I mean, there's a reason why I picked it for our intro. Uh, I really enjoy it. So I don't know if I've ever mentioned it here. I try to post it wherever people ask, whenever people ask. Um, but the song, the original song from the original podcast is a song called goth <laughs> so uh you know check it out check out that band and uh you know send them some love i have no knowledge of them as a band i only found out about them a couple of years back but uh yeah it's a cool song and uh they have a lot of cool music so i i didn't know that if that was the question no no i uh i don't just there's a lot of people have asked so i figured i'd, I'd mention it i don't know if i've mentioned it before but uh yeah that's that's uh um Check them out on YouTube. D E U X V O L T. Do Volt or Do Volt or Duo. <laughs> Deus du- Volt. Du- no. Ducks Volt. I don't <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The, I, the, pa- the Pax Romanus? I speak Chicago. I don't uh, don't really hey. care. I don't. Uh, <laughs> it looks like Ducks Volt to me, so that's what I call it. I don't. I don't care. Um, so yeah, cool. All right. Hater, hater, older. Well, um, yeah, like I said, next week I believe we have uh, a guest. We'll be interviewing. And the week after that, we'll be, I will be going to Chicago, and Bob and I will be sitting in the same room and shaking hands while we do this podcast. So, yes, it should be fantastic. All right. Well, <laughs> let's not belabor the point, shall we? Thank you, Bob. It's been a pleasure as always. Always. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of, email me at Nathan at UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Utility Muffin Labs, consistently rated adequate. Radio Man.